Church, I want to encourage you to stay standing for the reading of God's word this morning. We're back in Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 8. And we're going to read through verse 20 this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord for this morning. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It is Good to be together in the Lord's house on the Lord's day, singing the Lord's praises and sitting under the Lord's word. Amen? My favorite part of the week, hands down, not only because I'm a pastor, hopefully yours too. Really is a joy to be together. We're back in the Luke series. We took a break last week as we celebrated uh, God's faithfulness over the last 10 years and what an incredible weekend it was just to sit in and the, the memories and, and the times that we have seen God save many and raise many up and continue to do that work. And we pray for many, many more years to come in that. But we are back in Luke and in Luke chapter 2. And, and this is what you might call uh, week 2 of Christmas in October, Right? Depending on your personality, some of you are so delighted, you're going to grab this as permission to start that Christmas music earlier than ever. And so many others of you, considering those people just hard eye roll, right? Just like, come on, please, please wait till the day after Thanksgiving. That's where I land. Have broken it before, but that's where I land on principle. Now, I do need to clarify something that took place uh, two weeks ago that was said from the front regarding the Ritter household and a certain giant nativity set. <laughs> if you were here, you know by the, by the response, I think many of you were, 
Now, I, I, I do want to ask, how many of you are familiar with this feeling? You're sitting in a room like this with 700 or so other people listening to Pastor Scott and realizing that any given week, at any given moment, and for any given reason, your name will be called out from the front and your email given like it's the complaint department of the church. Does nobody else know that abiding fear? Week in and week out. My cross to bear, my cross to bear. I do it for you because I love you and I'm happy to bear it. Now, here's what got said. It was claimed that I had a giant nativity set in my front yard and then what did I say? I have two. <laughs> Not planned for the record. And so I'm like struck with this fear of, and then I say, if one is, two, one is good, two is better? What buffoon says that about nativity sets in his front yard? Who has two of them? We need to talk if you do, because I don't. And so I get struck with this, oh my gosh, I just lied to the whole church. To the whole church, did not like all this overwhelming emotion come. What do I do? So I have two options. I can come clean and confess, or I can go buy two nativity sets. So obviously there was a clear choice. Go and buy two nativity sets, right? Now I'm lying to the church again. I did not go buy two nativity sets. Now I do want you to know though, let the record show, I do have a giant Mary and Joseph blow up with sweet baby Jesus being held. It's been there for years. Uh, poor Joseph has got some duct tape going on now, so we're gonna have to fix that eventually. The Ritter household also has got a blow up wiener dog with puppies, also has a blow up penguin with baby penguins, also has a blow up snowman, also has a deer grazing, also has a giant light show, laser light show up on my redwood tree. Makes it look like I got up there myself, which I didn't, but that's awesome. And then some classic Christmas lights, right? Just because I'm really classy, ultimately. And so here's the thing. As I approach 40 here, I am that dad now where every year the kids are like, we should get a, and all of a sudden there's a in my front yard. It's a crazy show, but we have a lot of fun at the Ritter House. And that's just the outside of my house. The inside's an even better party, all right? So we got a lot going on at the Ritter House, and uh, there may need to be a giant nativity set eventually, eventually. Someone's like, I'm going to get that for him, and I'll probably have it in my front yard this year. Okay, so I feel clean conscience now. I'm ready to preach. I needed to get that off my chest. Are we good, church? All is forgiven? We're good? All right, all right. So... Let's get going, all right? So two weeks ago, we were in kind of part one with the birth of Jesus, verses one through seven. And it's sort of this straightforward accounting, uh, uh, though obviously supernaturally so, of God's sovereign orchestration to get Mary and Joseph and Jesus, who was in the womb of Mary, to Bethlehem to fulfill Micah 5, 1 and 2, that the Savior would be born in the city of David in Bethlehem. But it's a straightforward accounting of this birth in Bethlehem. Now, verses 8 through 20, which we just read, are more of the cosmic scale of what happened that night. That quiet night is about to be majorly disrupted. 
And if you, if you know what I mean, it's kind of like this. In one sense, what happened? A baby was born in a tiny town to a young mother. Like that's one way to say it. That, that's what happened. But then there's what happened. You know what I'm saying? Like there's the facts of history and then there's God's perspective. Here is what happened. And that's what we get to read today. So the title is Good News of Great Joy. Because so much is taking place on this one marvelous night in Bethlehem as this baby is born to this young mother. And here's our big idea this morning, what you're invited into. You were invited to come behold the wonder of heaven's king born on earth. Come behold the wonder of heaven's king born on earth. You were invited. We all are. Yes, in October. It's fine. You can enjoy this all year for the record, right? If you're going to start your Bible reading plan at some point, maybe in the spring, you'll be in Luke and you'll be invited yet again to marvel and wonder at heaven's king born on earth. This text is so great, right? It almost preaches itself. But don't worry, I have a lot to say. It almost preaches itself. But it actually is interesting because really familiar verses have a common a challenge in them too. They're so familiar, we know many of the stories and, or, or the main points, and yet we lose the sense of wonder. We lose the sense of either excitement or uh, amazement or worship in a text that is so familiar to us and that we likely will be reading yet again by tradition sometime in December, right? And so this is the challenge today. Not that I need to get up here and, and dance around to make it exciting. That's not what I need to do because, y'all, it's right here. There is so much wonder to be found and you don't need me to do it. Am I excited? I'm very excited about this, but that's not what you need to draw off of my excitement, but I want to take you to the word to see again the wonder of heaven's king born on earth. And so we're going to look at four primary characters this morning to get us through this text. And the first is this, we're going to see shepherds, shepherds, God's unlikely recipients, It can easily be lost, again, because of the familiarity, how amazing it is that God chose shepherds to reveal this news to. God could have sent, excuse me, God could have sent that angel to anyone. He could have sent that angel to Caesar Augustus, put him on blast. The king's been born. He could have sent that angel to Herod. He could have sent that angel to the high priest. He could have sent that angel to any priest. He already had done that once to a priest named Zechariah earlier. But rather than anyone in a position of authority, he takes his angel and sends the angel to shepherds, keeping watch over their flock by night in the same region as Bethlehem. Now, shepherds were considered uh, unclean for large parts of the year because of their duties that they performed as shepherds with sheep and with lambs. Many shepherds, likewise, were not only um, 
not really respected. They were known to be not honest. They, they, they worked in the middle of the night for a reason. Some of them, because they, they didn't get daytime jobs, they were more or less outcasts. That could have been because of morally or some other social reason. They were, they were not highly regarded. And yet, we also see in the Old Testament repeatedly, shepherds and shepherding is a theme of God and his people. So Moses, in Exodus 3, was tending sheep when the burning bush event took place, where God revealed his personal name, Yahweh, the I Am, to Moses. David was a young shepherd boy, wasn't he? He was the eighth son and when the prophet Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel from Jesse's sons, only seven were there because the eighth, the little guy, was out with the sheep. That was David. Of course, he ends up being the anointed next king. And the shepherd king theme or principle is there in David's life, his shepherd king. And then, of course, Psalm 23, but so many other places, God himself takes on the um, title for his people that he's a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He shepherds his people, leads them, corrects them, protects them. In the life of Jesus, in John 10, he is going to announce that he is the good shepherd, Capital G, capital S, he is the good shepherd who will lay down his life for the sheep. And then, of course, in uh, John the Baptist's life, John sees Jesus in John chapter 1 calls him what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Shepherds take care of sheep and lambs. So it can't be lost, this rich tapestry that God in his sovereign will chooses these shepherds to be the one this lone angel is going to come to. All these themes are, are present here, kind of pregnant here in this short account. So the shepherds are unlikely recipients of this good news. And then we see the angel, secondly. The lone angel arrives first. He's God's bearer of good news. Now in this story, we've, we've seen or we are seeing some repetition take place with other angelic visits that we've already studied both to Zechariah and to Mary. There's an appearance of an angel. There is great fear or being troubled. There's assurance, fear not. There's a divine message. And then there's the giving of a sign. So these things are repetitive in this kind of long narrative in chapters one and two, but something very unique takes place here. It says it in verse nine, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and what happened? The glory of the Lord shone around them. How many of you just hear Linus every time you hear that voice from Charlie Brown's Christmas, right? And the glory of the Lord shone. I don't have my blanket right now, but you, you get the idea, right? Again, the familiarity. God, may it not dull us to this incredible, incredible text. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. So you might assume, and you could be pardoned for assuming, that that took place in the Zechariah account and the Mary account, but it didn't. It's not there. Go check for yourself. 
Now, were they glorious events, like an angel appeared? Yes, we could call that a glorious event, but it doesn't say what it says here. Luke is pinpointing something unique in all the angelic visits. Now, the glory of the Lord is shining. It's shining. What is this? The glory of God is his manifest presence on earth. And the glory of God has not been on the earth for hundreds of years since God's glory departed the temple in the Old Testament. And all throughout the period between the end of the Old Testament and this moment now, God's glory was not present on the earth, in the temple or in any other way. And so the inbreaking of God's glory is coming because God's Son is here. Now the shepherds, rightly so, are terrified, right? They are losing their minds. Why? They're sure this is it for them. Like, he gone, and they deserve it. Because nobody stands before the unveiled glory of God and lives. No sinner. It is hilarious the way people talk about wishing they were visited by angels. That is a terrifying life experience if it's actually an angel, by the way. If it's an angel with the glory of God, you deserve to be done. You are undone. All the lies that you tell yourself about what a good person you are are gone in that moment. You are a sinner deserving judgment from the holy God of the universe. There's an angel of God before you, and you deserve to be cast into hell, judged forever. And these shepherds know it. They are terrified. This is it. But the glory of God is shining, but instead of immediate judgment and death comes a word of joy and peace. Fear not, the angel tells them. Fear not. I have something to give you, good news of great joy. This is the word gospel, by the way. Good news is the definition of the word gospel. I have a gospel message for you. Now, a gospel message would actually, in the ancient world, a gospel was just good news that would go out uh, primarily about the victory of a king. When When the herald would come back from war, he would proclaim the gospel to the town. Proclaim the gospel as he came back to the capital. Good news, we have won. We are victorious. That's, that was a gospel message. And the same theme is still here. There is a gospel coming to you, shepherds. I have good news of great joy. That will be for who? That will be for all the people. Now, there's some disagreement here. Is that, is that everyone everywhere or is that all the people of Israel? And I think we can settle it this way, that this news was coming to the people of Israel because this was Israel's Messiah and King Jesus. He came to the Jews to go through the Jews to all the world. So this is good news of great joy for all the people of Israel. The promises dating back to Abraham and even before that, Genesis chapter 3, the serpent crusher is here. Genesis 15, the seed of Abraham is here. The one who has finally come, the promises of God are being fulfilled here. The one who would bring blessing to all nations by salvation in his name, he is here. Good news of great joy for all the people. And what's the content of that news? Verse 11, 
for unto you. So no longer is this a distant promise that someday God will fulfill. It is coming to you, you shady shepherds. This good news is coming to you sinners. Is born this day. Now, Again, we're so familiar with the story, we know what's coming even before we read it, right? Many of us, at least. Maybe not everybody, but many of us. But think about these shepherds. They, they don't know what this angel is about to say. So this is the first indication that, a, that the news is about a baby. For unto you is born a baby, born this day. Where? Exactly where God had promised hundreds of years before, in the city of David. Which is Bethlehem? Is born to you in the city of David, who? A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, this is where the fireworks go off. Not necessarily in the word Savior alone, because many little s saviors or deliverers had been raised up in Israel in Old Testament times. In the time of the judges, God would raise up a deliverer and free the people from the oppression of so-and-so or from an attack of an enemy. And kings were treated as little less saviors, delivering and protecting their people. So the word savior alone was not necessarily where the fireworks are, but it's the description of that savior. A savior as in or who is Christ the Lord. This becomes a title so closely wed to the name Jesus, which is in verse 21, on the eighth day, he's named Jesus, but Jesus Christ is not his first and last name. Just so we're clear, don't, not even saying that as an insult. If you don't know that, he's not, he's not Jesus Christ like I'm Chris Ritter. No, he's Jesus the Christ, the one Christ is the Greek word that would be basically translated Messiah. He is the Jewish Messiah long awaited and promised. He is the anointed one of God, anointed with the very Holy Spirit of God to bring the salvation to the people, the people of God in Israel, but the people of God throughout the earth for all who will believe on him as Christ the Lord. So he is Savior, Deliverer, he is Christ, the Anointed One, and he is Lord. He, he's the Lord. This is his personal revealed name, Exodus 3, Yahweh. He is the I Am, the uncreated, eternal God and Lord and King is here. He is visiting his people. He has come to earth. Unto you, born this day, a baby precisely where God promised would take place. He is a savior, but he is not only a savior. He is the long-awaited one, Christ the Lord. Now, importantly, in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, the apostle Peter, in really the first Christian sermon ever given, Acts chapter 2, he says this, God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. And this is in reference to Jesus' resurrection, which is true. He, in a sense, earned or accomplished that. God has made him Lord and Christ in association with his work on the cross and resurrection. But 
it is still right that the angel 33 some odd years before that taking place calls him Lord in Christ. Why? Because this relates to the eternal decree of God to save sinners, redeeming them by his free grace through the eternal son of God, Jesus Christ, that he would go from heaven to earth and he would accomplish all that needed to be done to bring sinners reconciled back to God. So this relay, it is as certain as done, the angel is saying. He is Christ the Lord. And in his, in his accomplished work, God grants him that title as it were, Jesus. He has made him both Lord and Christ. But it's as good as done even on the day he is born. And then the angel gives this sign. You're going to find this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. That's not what's unique, right? That's just, a, that's just a protective measure that was normal. But where will you find this baby? In Bethlehem, that's already obvious, but in a manger. You're going to find this baby. There, it's a small town. I don't know how many babies were born on that day. But he's like, let me tell you exactly where to find this baby in an animal feeding area. That's where you're going to find this baby. Nothing glamorous. That's where you go. But before they can take off and go find this baby, we see more characters here. Thirdly, the heavenly host. This is God's choice of highest, God's choir, excuse me, of highest glory. God's choir of highest glory. Our text tells us in verse 13, suddenly, suddenly there was with the angel. This word suddenly is like an inbreaking of the power of God. When you see suddenly and you do a number of times in the life of Jesus, something suddenly takes place, an unexpected divine event is breaking through. So suddenly, not just this one angel with the good news of great joy, but now who comes to join the, uh, this angel but a multitude of the heavenly host Praising God. Now, the word or term heavenly host is actually important. It's easy to skip over this. Again, familiarity. We just would say, well, lots of angels came and started singing. And it certainly was lots of angels. But the designation, a multitude of the heavenly host, actually has a military tone to it. God's heavenly host were his angelic beings that waged war against God's enemies. Both spiritually, but also numerous instances in the Old Testament, judgment on nations through God's angels, the heavenly host. Now consider though, Jesus is a newborn king and a kingdom is coming in which the king will rescue those enslaved to the kingdom of darkness. And so isn't it so fitting that God would send not just a bunch of angels, but he would send his heavenly host. But they are not here to declare war. They are here to declare peace. Now, is there a war? Yes, there is a war breaking out. But it's not against mankind. God is bringing peace to mankind. We might say by waging war against his spiritual enemies to bring them out of slavery and bondage to sin into everlasting life in the kingdom of his beloved son. So this multitude of the heavenly host is coming and they've got a song to sing. 
It's a short one. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And on earth peace. We've referenced this at least once already in our time in Luke, but this is the period of what's called Pax Romana. The peace that Rome brought through conquest. The Pax Romana was not, however, true peace. It was peace through subjugation. It was peace through political violence and coercion. It was peace that was not desired. It was the absence of war through total political domination over a very large geographical area. But the absence of war is not the fullness of God's peace. So the peace that God is bringing in the midst of this darkness The peace is what in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, we would call shalom. God is making a pronouncement through his angelic heavenly host of peace on earth. This shalom is the presence of the fullness of life that God has made his people to dwell in, in covenant relationship with himself. The fullness of peace and worshiping him aright and loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbors as ourselves. This is the shalom, not only the absence of war, but the presence of the fullness of all that God had designed the world to be. This is the very peace. The shalom is what was broken and, and is still broken because of our sin. Because of human rebellion, that shalom has been fractured. That shalom is irreparable from a human perspective. We who broke it cannot make it right. But God, rich in mercy and love, came to bring peace on earth with all who he is pleased with. It says it here, it's a tricky phrase to bring into English, but it says, peace among those with whom he is pleased. There's a variety of ways that the English translations try and bring this through, but the heart of the matter is this, to be true to the intent that the peace that is brought through Jesus, it comes to all that God saves by his free grace. The popular phrase is goodwill among men. But this is not the goodwill of men. This is not like, hey, sending you good thoughts. Sorry to hear you're sick. Good thoughts. Like, what? What does that even mean? Right? What is that? No, no, no. This isn't goodwill, like good-naturedness in a person. No, no, no. This is God's settled disposition, again, by his eternal decree in eternity past, that he will save sinners through his son and bring them to reconciliation, and that the kingdom of his son will reign forever. The kingdom, will, the kingdom of Christ will overtake the kingdom of darkness with the gospel, this good news going out about the Savior who is Christ the Lord. He will bring peace. He will bring, he will re, uh, but he will reconcile, I should say, us to himself through his son so that we would dwell in peace, having been justified, Romans 5 tells us, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. 
This peace on earth comes to those with whom he is pleased. He is pleased to save. Are you aware of that? God is a gracious God. He is a holy God. He's a just God. He is a gracious and compassionate and loving God, pleased to save men and women. Glory to God in the highest. Not only to the highest degree, but glory to God in the highest heavens, as it were. In everything spiritually created and everything physically created, glory to God. For he brings peace on earth to those with whom he is pleased. I, I just, this week was just thinking and, and trying because it's, it's a familiar story to me too. Asking God to help me bring this exuberant praise into my heart in a fresh way. Help me to hear the, the angelic heavenly host singing your praises, God. These are, these are created beings, unfallen. They're not sinners like we are. They have seen the devastation of sin. They've seen God's shalom broken on the earth. They have seen God's image bears make an absolute atrocity of the earth. They have heard God's promises. They're not omniscient, but I just see them tracking history. They know the promises to Abraham. They know the promises to David that a king would come who would reign over his people forever and a kingdom would come. And, and now they're being sent. A baby's been born. Now they're sent to earth and they're singing this praise. Just, just try. Ask God's help. Show me again the glory that it is. What was being experienced on that night? I, I love the words of J.C. Ryle, who was a 19th century English pastor. He wrote this in his commentary on Luke. He says this, quote, Let us strive to be more like-minded with the angels. Our spiritual ignorance and deadness appear most painfully in our inability to enter into the joy which we see them here expressing. Surely if we hope to dwell with them forever in heaven, we ought to share something of their feelings while we are up here upon the earth. Let us seek a more deep sense of the sinfulness and misery of sin, and then we shall have a more deep sense of thankfulness for redemption. End quote. Love that summary. Let us dwell upon the depth of our need, our need because of our sin, our alienation from God. Let us dwell upon that, not to stay there, but to dwell upon that need so that we are profoundly all the more grateful on a regular basis for the salvation brought through this newborn king. And lastly, we see this, witnesses. The witnesses, God's proclaimers of his salvation. The heavenly hosts return to heaven, and these shepherds are like, let's go, right? They go with haste to Bethlehem. They go and find Mary and Joseph and Jesus, just as it was told them. In verse 17, they make, uh, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. So the word is getting out quickly on that night. The word is getting out. They're, they're wondering. People are in amazement. What happened? Who has been born? Here? In Bethlehem? Tonight? 
And then we have a very well-known verse, verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Let's think about who Mary is in this moment again. She is maybe 16 years old, and she's experienced quite the last nine months of her life, right? She's taking in this report. She's been waiting for this moment in one sense, but is also overwhelmed by the moment in another sense, hearing from these strange shepherds what they had heard and seen. And it says that she, two things, treasured these things up, That's the idea that she was never going to forget this night. She stored them, and of course she did. But then it also says that she pondered them in her heart. And that actually, that language would lead us to believe that she was not immediately able to connect every dot yet. She's overwhelmed by what's going on, and she, we have no indication that she had some supernatural knowledge even now about all that would take place. Let's not make Mary more than she is. She's a tremendous blessing, right? Blessed of God. And yet she's pondering these things. What, what is going on, God? What is all of this? Now, Now, many commentators would say, and I think there's a strong argument to say this, she likely gave Luke this story directly. This is Luke's investigative journalism and research, as we've already talked about, how excellent of a historian he is going to look at eyewitness testimony. And these shepherds are anonymous. They're not around, best we can tell. But Mary, having treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and then over time seeing the connections, believing that her son is also her Lord, gave this account to Luke. I think there's good reason to believe that's where this would have come from. And so the shepherds then return, and they are glorifying God, praising him for all that they have seen and heard. Now, I want to bring four parts of application to you now. I didn't want to stop in this narrative because there's so much glory in it. I wanted to just explain it. And and now I want to bring out application, four points of rejoicing. There is so much rejoicing to be had in this text for our hearts and in our lives. And so four points of rejoicing as we close. What do I take home from this? Number one, this. Rejoice in the gospel coming to undeserving sinners. Rejoice in the gospel coming to undeserving sinners. This good news that the angel preached is the good news that Jesus preached, is the good news that the apostles preached, and it's the good news that all faithful churches and faithful Christians around the world 2,000 years later are still preaching, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. It's the only people he saves. Did you know that? That's all he saves is sinners, undeserving sinners. In fact, to go a step further, hell-deserving sinners. It's the only ones he saves. It's all you and I are apart from the grace of God, hell-deserving sinners. And so we rejoice in the unlikely recipients of God's grace like these shepherds. He saves undeserving sinners through his powerful grace. Secondly, this, rejoice in the person of our Savior, Christ the Lord. Rejoice in the person 
our Savior Christ the Lord. Think of what the angel proclaimed. He had good news of great joy, but he did not explain all the life events or the coming crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. That was all coming. Really, did, did the angel actually know? I don't know what the angel knew ahead of time or not. But what he proclaimed was a salvation that comes through a person. And that's what we need to rejoice in. The person of who Jesus is. He is our Savior, Christ the Lord. And though nothing was said about his work here, it's, it is implied. Because in order to bring that peace that had been broken, Jesus had to go to the cross. So we don't separate the person from the work, but we rejoice in who he is. You are a Christian not only because you subscribe to certain historical truths, not only because you believe they happened in history, though you have to believe that, that it did happen in history, but who did it? Who accomplished it? Your faith is in the one who did all the work for you. Your faith is in the Savior, Christ the Lord, the anointed one of God, full of the Holy Spirit, who indeed lived a perfect and sinless life under God's law, flawlessly fulfilling it all. He who lived a perfect and sinless life was destined for the cross and was destined not only after the cross, but also to rise again and to give salvation to all who would turn from sin and call upon him. But we rejoice in who he is, even as we rejoice in what he did. Thirdly this, rejoice with God's heavenly host in the glory of God. Rejoice with God's heavenly host in the glory of God. Hearkening back to that quote from J.C. Ryle, we will be rejoicing with the heavenly host, all God's created beings. We will rejoice with them forever. Are you in dress rehearsal mode for that? You need to be. You need to think of yourself, not only when we gather, but certainly when we gather like this, that we are singing, we are joining the heavenly host who celebrates the work of God in saving sinners by giving his very own son so that all who would come to trust in him, repenting of sin and believing on Jesus would be saved. Oh, the wonder that the angels look on our salvation, even trying to understand it. I believe it's 2 Peter 1 that talks about that. Things into which angels even long to look. Their minds are blown. Join in. Join in with the heavenly host in giving glory to God. I'll say it this way. Set the dial of your heart to the same tune of the angelic heavenly host. The glory of God in the highest above all things. Challenge yourself even this week. Do I believe that there is always much to give glory to God for despite everything going on in this world and despite everything going on in my life, there are eternal things to give glory to God for. Am I practiced in them? Do I rejoice in them? Do I find my voice singing to lift up God's praises with God's people? But we're not only doing it together. We join the heavenly host in giving glory to God. And fourthly this, rejoice in the peace that God brings to his people. 
Rejoice in the peace God brings to his people. In a world that is still at enmity with God, the, the world, in the system of the world, in hostility toward God, is still raging against God in some ways, yet God is saving his people. He is bringing peace on earth through the proclamation of the gospel. This is the peace that we have broken, but that God has restored by his grace through Jesus Christ to forgive your every sin and to bring you into fellowship with himself. He brings you the shalom that you naturally seek because you are made in the image of God. We seek God's shalom wrongly through political means. We seek it wrongly through comfort and riches. And we deceive ourselves to think we have found it in earthly pleasures. But that shalom, that peace, the fullness of eternal life is only in Jesus Christ. And we rejoice that God brings it to his people. So as dark as the days are, and they're dark right now, whether those are dark days because of world events or they're personally dark days because of all that you're walking through. You hold on to the truth and the hope of the peace of God that has come to you through Jesus Christ. And you know that the kingdom of God is still in breaking, overwhelming the kingdom of darkness. As the gospel goes out and all who come, come through the one name, Jesus Christ, the Lord. And bringing that peace to us only came at the incalculably high price of his very own life. Jesus going to the cross for you and for me, again, hell-deserving sinners. And so we celebrate communion this morning, not ironically on the same day we celebrate his birth, because on the day of his birth, his death was known by God. This is why he came. This is why he was born. We don't celebrate his, death, his birth by itself. We celebrate it in the context of all that he came to do for us, giving his very life's blood, being the final sacrifice for sin, substituting himself for you. Do you believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and God? If that is you, come to the table. Come celebrating, come Come solemn because of what it costs, but come rejoicing because of what it gives to you. And if that is not you this morning, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you, you wait and you let this moment pass. But we would also invite you, in fact, plead with you in the name of Jesus to repent. Repent means turn, turn from sin, turn from self, turn from man-made religion and turn to the one true living God and his son, Jesus Christ, who loves you and died for you. All of us in this room celebrating this meal are undeserving sinners that have had grace poured out through Jesus Christ. And so we come. And if you are someone with questions, you're someone who needs to know more, or you're thinking, I think today I'm believing in Jesus for the first time. I need some help. We have got a team of people by the front doors who would love to talk with you. It's called our New Believers Table. you got to go find them. Ask your questions. love to pray with you and help you get connected. And we will rejoice with you as God continues saving sinners. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you. For the joy it is to know Jesus, who is Savior and Christ the Lord. Lord Jesus, you came for us, 
born as a baby, God in human flesh. You came because you love us. You came to fulfill the requirements of the law. You came to bring us eternal life, and we have so much to rejoice in. For those who lack the peace of God today, not knowing the restored fellowship with the living God, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would come to them in your grace, open their eyes to the glory of Jesus so that they then would repent and believe on the Lord Jesus. We love you, God. Blessed be your name. Amen. Go ahead and come forward when you are ready. Pastor Ben will lead us in a moment.